Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. You're listening to the Chasin Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Cloud, it's recording. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales podcast. Here we are, year 2,338 of the podcast, and you guys are still listening, and uh, that blows my mind. So if you're still here with us, thank you. If you just found us, that also explains it. So uh, welcome to another episode. This is going to be deer. You know, we're going to be, whoa, what just happened? Can you all still see me? Yeah. yeah oh, okay, sure. cool. All right, well. My monitor just like blinked for a second and I couldn't see you guys, but uh, <laughs> despite doing this episode or this podcast, as long as we have, we still encounter technical difficulties along the way, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> we're doing, oh, we're doing a final recap in this episode of lessons learned Alabama style. Uh, this is the, the three deer killers on the podcast uh, that we have here, Chase, Brett, and myself, I can proudly say that I'm a deer killer this this year. We'll see about next year. Uh, but <clears throat> gosh, I got like a frog in my throat now. <laughs> Hold on a second. Not used to being able to say that, are you? I'm not. I'm not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm leaving all of that in the podcast now that you said that because I was funny as heck, man. <laughs> but. uh we got to thank some people to make this show possible, and we got to do some some business right out the gate. Uh, by my calculations, we have only got two spots left for the Chasing Tales first ever Patreon turkey hunt. If you want in on that, you best hurry up because I'm probably going to shut this thing down, uh, regardless of those two spots here in the near future. That way, we can order a catering, we can uh, get some prize give, uh, giveaways going. We can go ahead and pay the cabin owner so that. Uh, they're getting their money on the front side, which is a pretty big priority for me, if I'm being completely honest. So, uh, you know, probably you got, let's just say, to the end of February to get registered. And we're just going to shut this thing down. It's going to be what it's going to be. So I'm excited about that. We've got a big group of guys coming. Parker McDonald's coming, which is going to be great. He's bringing a cameraman. Chase is coming. So that means he's going to kill all the turkeys the first morning. Brett's coming. So, you know, there's going to be entertainment. And rumors have it. Florida man. The legendary Florida man has off for this hunt. So uh, unlike uh, past events where he's shown up, made a hell of a presence, and then had to go back to work, uh, y'all get the uh, pleasure of, of, of listening to his stories for an entire weekend. So uh, check it out. If you want to support the podcast, you want to get in on the Patreon hunt, check us out at patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. Uh, the link's in the show notes. Makes it really easy. Just cl- click right there. A few cents a day goes towards production costs. We're putting a camera in Brett's hand this year, a formal production camera, 4K capable, because uh, there's a Missouri hunt that Brett and I have edited 
that is chef's kiss beautiful so you guys are not going to want to miss out on that um but i say that so that you guys know where that money's going right it's not going in my pocket it's not going into chase's pocket it goes right back into the production value of this podcast uh new audio interfaces whenever they they crap the bed in the middle of an episode so uh with that we have a turkey giveaway that we're doing I have got an Alps Outdoors impact vest. We're going to put a Chasing Tales Outdoor Signature Series pot call in that vest. A collaborative pack of three mouth calls from Honeycomb Custom and Chasing Tales. It's the JV Special, the Not Safe for Work, and the Hot Tamale. Those are all three hand done by Daniel. Uh, those were designs that he sent us and we tested and had fun making. Those are all going in there. We're going to throw a Honeycomb's custom pot call in there as well. So you get a, a, an A-grade pot call, a B-grade pot call, and then you get a, a series of mouth calls along with a turkey vest. And we're going to draw the winner for that March 1st as well. So, oh, man, we got to we gotta move on to the people that have sponsored this podcast so that we could go where we've gone, Spartan Forge. If you were looking for the nexus of next-level up-to-date graphing, uh, aerial image imagery, uh, an interface that takes all of the where and puts it with the when and the why. This thing is awesome. Every time I pull it up, it seems to be right about where the deer are moving. The predictions regarding movie, movement times seem to be spot on, and their weather algorithm is next to none. If it says it's going to rain, by God, it's going to rain. If they say it's coming out of the south-southeast for exactly five minutes at the noon noon hour, it's going to be doing exactly that. I've never seen something like this before. Um, so go check them out. Use the promo code ChasingTales to get uh, 25% off your membership and lock that price in for life. And we have to also say thanks to Tethered, who outfitted us with Tethered Gear, which is donating a set of one sticks to the Yakin' for Bass Challenge that is coming. So uh, that that's going to be one of the random giveaways that we do. So all you have to do is submit a fish. You're going to be thrown into a random giveaway for the Yak Bass Challenge. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks to those two companies. They've been with us for years now, tethered since, like, day one. And uh, we are happy to have them. So with all of that said, boys, 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 as we sit here, we are 24 days away from turkey season. That means absolutely nothing to you two fellows. I get that. I appreciate you entertaining that uh, one little diatribe there I had. I don't even think diatribe is the right word, but I'm exhausted. But here we are podcasting because this is one of my favorite things to do every week. And I'm with you two beautiful men. What's going on? Chase sporting a brand new, beautiful Bottomlands Chasing Tales Richardson 112. Yeah, man. That's uh, just the luck of going and doing the hats and snagging the last one that they had on the shelf after yeah. i got the other ones done <laughs> I, I hear there may be a lot more coming down the pipeline so stay uh tuned for that but man yeah. i am busy man busy man not thinking about turkey hunting yet <laughs> maybe in a week or two i had now i have actually gotten out my mouth calls and al hooter whatever you call it al call locator Mm -hmm. Uh, i have gotten a few of those out messed around with those Uh, actually sound decent uh right out the get-go so i just need to keep uh definitely not a uh, grandmaster champion caller by any stretch of the imagination but i do feel like i am getting better year in and year out probably if i practiced a little bit more i would um be up there with uh, the rev but 
not yet. <laughs> yeah, Chase Chase sends a photo to the Patreon group. Chase found a run of hats, uh, so we're getting caught up on our backlog there, and we're gonna have some inventory. And then I got, uh, ironically, I told you, kept telling you guys, like I'd, I'd place an order, it get canceled. I'd place an order, get canceled. I had fifteen hats show up at the house right after Chase locates the ones that he has. They're in the chasing tails blue, no packing slip. The return address is just a random address that doesn't even like belong to anybody I've done business with. So uh, <laughs> appreciate that, whoever donated those hats. Um, but um, I'm going to send those off and get those embroidered. But uh, this week probably will run for about 10 days. We're going to do a pre-order of Richardson 112 P's. So it's a slightly different profile hat, uh, but it's in Bottomland. It's in stock. It's a great hat. Brett had one. Let me try it on the other day. So we're going to do a, a limited pre-order for that. And the goal is to have those hats out to you by mid-March. So probably around the 18th to 20th is what we're looking at, probably for a turnaround time on that. So uh, check out the website. I will make a big hoopla about it on social media. Uh, but all of those sales are going to run through the website. So ChasingTailsOutdoors.com. Think about that in the back of your mind. Yeah, I'm excited. I've been trying to do a hat run like that for a while now. But I said all that to say you sent a photo to the Patreon group said, here's all the hats they have. And the only one not there was Bottomland. And then later that day, he's like, I got the only Bottomland hat. It wasn't up there. <laughs> <laughs> I only had one. If if I would have gone in there, like I said, if I'd have been there two hours sooner, uh, I would have had enough hats for the Patreon hunt. He's, they came in and he said they were gone within two hours. People came wow. in and snagged them up. And I just went in there on a whim to check to see if the other hats uh, were done and to ask about the Patreon <laughs> hat. And of course, uh, he had to rub that in my face and then to tell me that he wasn't going to have any more in till like mid-March. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. Yep. So, so yep. you're saying the horseshoe only works for you. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. I do. I got a, I got a good, I got a good horseshoe story for you from yesterday. So a couple of guys that I know went out and, uh, one of them had, been gifted like a scratch off ticket or something that he won $10 on. So we went in the store, he gets the ticket and I'm like, Hey, let me touch that ticket. So <laughs> touch the ticket. And there was another guy who also, who just ended up buying two scratch off tickets right behind him. Same, same role. So touch the ticket, get back. He scratches it, wins a hundred dollars. Wow. So the, the other guy scratches his, this other guy is a psycho. Like he play, he does scratch offs. Like all he does is scratch the barcode and checks the barcode. Like he doesn't play the actual game on the scratch off. He just scratches the barcode real quick and checks it, which royally ticks me off. So he was, he, he lost on the first one and he went to, he's scratching the barcode on the second. I was like, give me that ticket. I grabbed it. And I was like, you're going to scratch this one. How you're supposed to put it down. And he won money too. Dang. <laughs> so it helped other people. I'm not gonna I have helped other people. Lower. <laughs> Leave it to case. Of all people, man, it does not so, surprise me in the slightest. Let me give y'all some good news. It is February and it is still deer season. Yeah, it is. Yep. In certain sorry, parts sorry, well, of the land it is. Sorry, Walt, but when turkey season gets here, I'll think about turkey hunting. Yeah. Well, Florida's how many <laughs> how many weeks does Florida actually like South Florida is what, like in two weeks or something? I think South Florida's coming up quick. 
maybe their youth season. March seventh is the regular kickoff. So yeah, like a yes, week. Yes, this yeah, this this coming up. Ten weekend, days, maybe. yeah, yeah. You're right. Holy crap. Chase, I did just get a notification from Amazon that all the uh, boxes for your hats were delivered this evening. Yes, I got them. Hey, uh, just, that's a real-time update. Say. I got the boxes <laughs> for the hats. So they will, once I get the list of addresses and who needs hats, I'll start getting them out. As quick Probably as I next can. month. No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fast. <laughs> no, about about me getting the list to you. <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah I'm pretty fast. <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you my list. Maybe I'll get mine by next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I know your address, bro. So. Oh. Oh, hey yo. Make sure you rub my hat. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'm gonna sign your hat. <laughs> it's smell like sign it underneath the brim. You, you should do that. Sign it underneath <laughs> the brim. So if I kill a deer, when I'm like, you know Chase. why. <laughs> Chase, are you going to sign all the bottomland hats? Are you going to sign all of those? Oh, well, I mean, if it's requested, I will. I don't want to mess up anybody's hat. People are weird about their hats. He needs to sign just one, and then that person will randomly probably be the one that kills a bird. (laughs) And then we'll know. I tell you what, I tell you what, he'll if he if if he signs just one, I'll give away a pack of mouth calls to whoever gets that hat. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it can be random. We'll just put them, put it in the stack, and then golden people ticket. grab them. Golden ticket. The golden ticket. Yep. And I'll sign the mouth calls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll lick. I'll lick each mouth call. That's what I'll do. Oh, just gosh. put it back in the package. There you go. <laughs> Dude, they won't even let you return a mouth call, even if it's still in the package. Really? Yeah. The places where I've gotten them in the past, they're like, there's no returns on these. I'm like, well, what if it's still in the package unopened? Nope, no returns. Uh, so I, I guess, guess they, they got to draw a line somewhere. I guess they figure out somebody might try to super glue it back in or something. I don't know. But, I mean, you can tell when a mouth call has been handled. Yeah. Yeah, you can. All right. Apparently, then. they don't care. Yeah, guess not. It's yours. it's yours for life. Chase, uh, I sent brett a video today of his pot call i told him it would be ready today to be shipped and so he's like hey man did you send it and i said no i said it'd be ready today to be shipped but i have to i have to strike it to make sure it actually makes some good turkey noise and uh i've got his pot call ready and i've got a spalted pecan picked out for you that i'm gonna do a red slate over glass for nice yeah i mean you've been telling me you're gonna give me a call for and, uh, I wanted it to be a good one. Yeah, yeah I, I want it to be something special. <laughs> it's going to be on display. I'm probably not going to use it. I'm going to display it. Yeah, I. Uh, it was one of those that I was like, when I give it, like, when I just sell them to people, I don't care, right? Like, I don't care what I sell. I'm kidding. But it was one of those, like, <laughs> if you're giving it to you, if you're giving it to your co-host, it needs to be something special. And I found this beautiful, this beautiful pot called that's got like a spalt right through the middle of it and when you first look at it it looks like the call is cracked and then you look a little close you know which one i'm talking about Mm -hmm. um brett got to go through all of them and pick which one he wanted made and so like every time i look at it i'm like crap it broke and then i realize it's this like beautiful spalted line right through the middle of it so nice yeah man um yeah it's pretty i'm it's i'm I'm happy with it i feel like i really got a design now and so if you're listening to this and you're on that waiting list i think there's 49 people on the waiting list i'm gonna start working down that list 
Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy. You're gonna be. I busy. can't believe that. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. But fellas, we're not here to talk turkey. And if we keep this up, Craig and 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 Cole and Graybeard, they're all gonna have a conniption if we keep talking turkey. So let's just let's pivot from that and let's talk deer for a second here. Actually the rest of the episode probably. And I'm gonna give Brett a golf clap, a fake golf clap, because my boy's sleeping right now, just a really gentle golf clap. When he is on this podcast and he talks about postseason scouting and the importance of postseason scouting, he might actually know what the hell he's talking about. Okay. So I went up to a W (laughs) I went up to a WMA and I was pulling some trail cameras and looking for turkeys. And I went to an area that for the past two years I've seen a buck uh dog doze during the rut and be bedded right in this little area. Just never leave this area. I walked in there and there's no leaves. Greenbrier's gone. You can see the ground everywhere you're going. And there are trails beat all the way through this. And there are these two trees that are laid down next to each other. And there are two beds, two bean-shaped beds, one in one crook of the tree and then one in the other crook of the tree on the other side. Rubs galore. And when I got down in those beds and I looked back, I could see the tree that I've, I've been hanging from where I've been watching those deer. And he's got an exit route, north, south, east, and west. Through through security cover and away from from that entire area, and he's overlooking this cut over and all these deer, these hunter paths. This joker is smack dab 125 yards off the freaking road, laying right there in plain view. And I sat there gobsmacked that I just in 15 minutes put all the pieces of the puzzle together over the last two years in 15 minutes. And so, I think my dilemma is I may have to stop hunting in the year as much as I do so that I have some goodwill left over on the tail of deer season and I can get some scouting done. Cause yeah, this is, I mean, this is normally my period where I don't do anything. Just my opinion and the way I hunt and just what I like to do period. If there, if I can only do any kind of scouting in off season, it'd be postseason, the first month or so soon as season ends. You got all the knowledge fresh on your brain from your hunts. Like, think about what deer you seen or what buck did you see or what buck were you hunting you have on camera. Was it coming from a certain way? We Now you got the opportunity to go in there and figure it out. The trails that he were using may have been faint earlier in the year, but now they're going to be beat down. Leaves are gone. Everything's wide open, so you can walk in there and actually be able to tell exactly what they were doing. And then when you backtrack them and find better ways to hunt it, find those creative access routes, which is what I think I do a great job of is figuring out a creative access to get in a spot and multiple ones to hunt deer and not being afraid to be aggressive at the right times. Because I know the area and basically somewhat what the deer are going to do from my postseason scouting. Not is don't necessarily apply for your early season, but during season it will. Oh, I mean, I feel like I, I'm 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 only being halfway silly when I say I need to find a way to ha- leave some goodwill on the backside uh, of deer season. I wish our turkey season wasn't so smack dab close to deer season. That's my problem. Is I always tell my wife like, "Oh, you're gonna get a month and a half break." Well, 
now I feel like I'm about to have about a four month marathon between January, December through like April. And that might be the bulk of my turkey and my deer hunting and scouting because Lord, it was crazy. And then I walk out in that swamp and the amount of trails crisscrossing that little peninsula that you and I went on, mm-hmm. it was insane. And they it was do insane. it out like a sore thumb now because you know, Plain as day. everything's passed, so all the trails have been beat down. Yep. So they stick out more. Everything's deader, so it sticks out more. The leaves are yep. off. You can access places. You can see trees and different ways to possibly get in there and have stuff mapped out for next year where you could just go in and hunt when the time's right. Yep. And I think what's interesting, I went out in that peninsula, there was no buck sign, no fresh buck sign whatsoever. I'm wondering if that big buck that got shot over there may have been what the one that was living out there on that peninsula. Cause you remember how we went out there and we found all that, that historic mm-hmm. sign. Oh yeah. None of it. Tons of rubs. No scrapes, the scrapes underneath those Oak trees. They weren't there this year. It was just, it was just barren. It was just doe tracks all up and down. I didn't see the first buck track. Yeah. It was, it was crazy, but chase, what are you up to right now in the deer woods? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Zero right now. (laughs) Well, the reason is I'm just busy right now. (laughs) I'm taking over a whole new uh, deal. Um, But that's short term. So once that's kind of over, then... uh, I can kind of I, – I, I'll do my postseason scouting during turkey season, mostly. Um, but honestly, I mean, this is my theory on a lot of these deer. They don't bed in the same place every day. 
they they have patterns where they may go bed in that area um every few days or whatever but i honestly don't think they bed in the same spot uh every single day so i mean it's good to have an idea of those areas because like brett he hunts the wind primarily just whatever the wind's doing that day that makes up his mind that tells him what his options are and where he's going to go doesn't necessarily mean that the deer's going to be bedded there uh that particular day um so uh i'm i'm trying to i've been kind of thinking on maybe a different way to approach uh deer season and i'm kind of coming with a plan of the the at least the deer where i'm at they're on cycles that like i said they're on like these three or four day cycles a lot of times and where they're sticking to an area for three or four days and could just be the does in that area and they'll stick there and then they'll move to a little bit different area for three or four days because they're trying to check for more does over there hoping that they'll come in and they'll come back to their other area there's a lot of traveling back and forth but um, they have some core areas within those areas and what i need to get out and do is it was a buck the buck that i shot at the end of the season he had a particular pattern and i there's a few trails that i would like to go in and backtrack because i never really could figure exactly how he was traveling um those areas and i think if i do get in there i, I could do it during turkey season it's coming up close or whatever i'm just going to go back up in and walk uh, a bunch of them trails to kind of figure out uh how he was using that area and a lot of the other deer kind of use that area uh the same so that'll be uh my my postseason scouting yeah man anytime you can get out there's good yep my yeah for me my bread and butter is pretty much february march um getting out doing my postseason i feel like what what i do in the month of february and march determines how much success I'm going to have the following year. Because it, it, all the really good areas that I found and good areas to that I found, like just bedding areas, but core areas, and not just a bedding area, but a bedding area that allows me to be able to get into it in a way that I can bow hunt these deer. And... I feel like pretty much all my success comes off of what I'm doing right now this time of the year. So for me, uh, off season is killing season for me. Have you found any shits? No, I haven't been yet. I'm waiting on them to do some more burning up at the WMA. They've been doing some burning and I kind of waiting Usually, they don't start till end of February, beginning of March, typically. So, I I think I found all the rest of them. So, just kind of wait until then to really hit that area hard. Yeah. Now, I have been scouting in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still seeing bucks with both sides. Yeah, me too. Both sides. I, I actually seen a buck chasing a doe on my camera. Uh, yesterday afternoon just after dark yeah and saturday too that's not uncommon i've seen 
I've gone in February and some other times out scouting or looking for shit and just, and see fresh grapes uh, out. So, so something cool that I noticed, I pulled a couple of cameras, uh, just, just your regular cheap uh, cameras that you put out. I went and pulled some of those and I was going through the cards on them and I found the buck that I killed in November. I went in and tried to hunt that deer on the opening day of bow season because I had a few bucks in the area, somewhat, you know, regular, more than, you know, others. And so I went that first day and I dedicated a whole first day to hunting bucks, not hunting deer. And I went to an area and I seen, I think it was one small buck. I was sitting on the ground. So I moved and I moved to this area. I had a lot of midday to like one to three o'clock action. So I got in there and climbed a tree about, I got in there, started climbing a tree about 1130, got set up by 12. <laughs> and when I, I pulled that camera, I got scrolling back to opening day and the buck that I killed come through that spot at 1030, an hour before I got there. Nice. I did. I actually didn't see a deer, but you know, going in there and hunting that was the right call because the buck was still in the area, or a buck. There was multiple ones in there. You know, it's just I wasn't there at the right time. But you know, that always makes you feel good when you go back and look at certain things to confirm what you were thinking. Mm-hmm. There was this camera you had out soaking. Yeah, yeah. Just a long soak. It's mainly to somewhat wash the area, and I'm going to use that information of when the the bucks started moving in the area, chasing those uh, doe groups and all. And I found uh, a week section, about a seven-day long period, where I had bucks in there almost every day. And it was always midday. For whatever reason in this spot, it was just, it's just a midday spot. It was midday early season. It was midday when the bucks moved into that area. So now I know for next year, what, what time of year I need to be in there. And it, I need to probably get in there early in the morning and just sit all day. Because it's kind of a tough area to get in. So you want to probably get in there early and just sit all day. And I've also... When I pulled that camera, I did some more looking in that area. Same thing, I'm going to do some more of it here in postseason. But I'm finding different ways to hunt that area that may be more effective where I don't have to walk across so many trails or get right up in the thick of things, but I'm just on the skirts of it. And I can hunt it with two different winds, the trees that I found. And I think I can get just on the edge of the bubble, but went in 30 yards of them, but without having to cross any of the deer trails. It's kind of just right on the edge of that super thick line they're running. And I can slip in from a different way, not cross any trails or bump any deer and get in there. So I think that's going to be money for next year. I'm going to have that tree I'll be able to slip in and actually be able to hunt that spot effectively without crossing any trails and I should be able as long as I have a good wind 
I should be able to hunt that spot multiple times without spooking deer out of there. So that's, that's another that's, thing I'm doing that, in postseason. Finding those trails and those access routes is an unreasonably difficult thing. It really is. And a lot of times those deer have themselves in a spot where it's really hard for you to not make it obvious that you're in that area. Like you're, you're, you're the buck that I just talked about. It's kind of one of those where I think the only way I'm going to kill him is to, you know, I can't get there stupid early like I'd like to. Um, But I think it's one of those where I'm going to have to use the known paths and then be really stealthy in how I approach it, get up high in a tree. There's like two trees I can hunt down into this bedding area and be looking down into it and hope that I, you know, kind of, it's kind of like this oblong bedding area and he, and it looked like he he was bedding at the tip and he was bedding at the bottom of it. And my hope is that, you know, I keep seeing him right at, you know, right as I'm walking in on the tip by that cutover. And then as the morning progresses, I would catch him visually on the backside. And my thinking is, you know, make a big loop around, Brett, you know, that area I'm talking about, make Mm -hmm. a big loop around where that known pressure is, but then try and catch him going to that, that rear side. And, but I mean, even doing that, I'm making my presence obviously known. He's going to know I'm there. Yeah. So when you find that area, so you hunted a couple of years, you got an idea of what the buck's doing in the area. So you take that information, you go, this time of the year when everything is dead, it's easy for you to see. You mm-hmm. can pick up on sign that's just been laid down, you know, within months, all the tracks, everything's dead or some places it's not, you know, always dead in Florida, but it's less than what it will be here in a few months. And that's the time, time to go in there and figure out how to access that area. What other trees can you get in? What was he doing? What's the typical wind? and find maybe multiple ways to get in there and maybe multiple trees to hunt a couple different winds. Because if you think he's in a section, you think you need to loop around, you need to actually walk that. Mm-hmm. Pick that spot out, go ahead and map it out right now and go ahead and find a tree, map that out right now and have all that ready and then just wait for the time to be right and then go straight in there and you just... um do everything the plan you put together there in postseason you just apply it during season when the time's right and that's typically what i like to do you know and so i can have all these areas around bedding areas or in good spots what i call good spots i can catch a buck you know and this isn't something you're just going to figure out in one year this is me dedicating five six years straight to one area and one piece of land and putting that many years worth of knowledge. And I have so many different areas. I know that's good. So I got access routes. I got trees picked out. I know on what winds I can hunt, what areas. And like Chase said earlier, I typically couldn't tell you where I'm going tomorrow until right before I go to bed or as I'm headed up there, I let the wind Mm -hmm. decide it. And I will tell you a good lesson learned is I have found myself um, using Spartan Forge way more this year. Like the, if you can actually go to the days and look at the weather and the wind and just click on the day and it brings you a breakout of hour by hour. And they're more accurate than any other app 
or any other weather app that I've used by far. Like I could go to a hunt stand. It might tell me it's a north wind. I could go to Spartan Forge and look at what it says hour for hour. It will show you when the wind is going to shift. Say, yes, it's a north wind until daybreak. And then it's going to swap to a, it's going to swap to something totally different, like a southwest wind. It's going to swirl right at daybreak. Or it'll tell you at lunchtime the wind's going to switch, and it is accurate. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing that I've noticed this year and started. I found myself using Spartan Forge a whole lot more. And the mapping in my area is actually starting to get up to date now. And so I can look at a map on it, and it looks nothing like any of the other maps. Like You can actually see cutovers that were done in the past six months. That on other ones are still who knows how old. Yeah, I mean I, I like I think that if you're just buying Spartan Forge for the weather predictions, it's it's a solid forty dollar investment a year because it is on the nose. I find myself arguing with it. Like I'll get a forecast with Spartan Forge, I'm like, God, I don't want that wind. And I'll go to like Wonderground and Wind Ninja and all these other places and they'll tell me different things. I'm like, okay, I'll be good. Dude, by December of last year, I'd give it up on that. I was like, if it says it's coming out the West, by God, it's coming out the West. And I talked to Bill about it, and he's like, I, I can't tell you what I'm doing, but I can tell you it's special. And I was like, dude, I can tell you. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me that. I already got that figured out. Yeah, so that's a trade sure. secret. <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, kind of that early season, just seeing that, Knowing that what I was trying to do, because killing bucks early season here in the South is, is hard. Or it's at impossible. Least me, at least for me, it's hard. You know, some people may have, some people have a knack for it, you know, just early season. You know, I'm more of a end of season, a little more pressure put on and whatnot. But anyways, I, I get back from my, Walter distracting me. Sorry, I I, you said some people had a knack for it, and I was pointing at Chase, but I just realized like uh, that might not be Chase to you. So yeah, there's nothing down there. <laughs> so, it looked like you was pointing yeah. at something. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, squirrel coming back from from Missouri had the uh, hurricane. I guess it was Nicole pushing in that day it was a weekday i believe that's right it was i believe it was a weekday and i had an area that i ground hunted last year and i noticed that in high wind days and super overcast and rainy and you know just bad conditions the deer seemed to migrate to those type of areas which were thick pines basically Cause I had some buddies hunting the same piece of public and they're hunting the spots. They're usually seeing deer, but it's more woods and transition lines. And he's like, man, I hadn't seen a thing. And by that time that morning, I've already seen nine deer where everybody else I talked to who were up there had seen zero. So I was like, you know, so I was thinking about that and the wind, it was going to be a strong, steady wind and it worked out perfect for that spot. I said, Oh yeah, it's going to be a good day. I'm going to uh, win that bit with Walt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went in there that day and, man, 
Oh, it was just just sitting there, just get set up. It was my second time, second time going in there hunting. I believe, I believe it's correct. And uh, I had a a buck come from he come from the right spot. I had to finagle my setup because last year I got busted pretty much every time in there. I'd had the deer in range for the most part, but when they got to a certain point, like 20 yards, they bust me. So I had to figure out the hard way of how I needed to set up in there because the reason I set up in there in the first place is it's, there's a bunch of bedding that's just inside a bedding area, and it's a spot that I found postseason scouting. I found a big shed on right there on that trail, and I ended up putting a long soap camera in there and realized somewhat how those deer were using it, what time of the year. And I was like, I can't hunt in here. And I was like, you know, I need to, I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to do whatever it takes to get in here and get it done. So I started the ground hunting last year. Learned a lot, a lot of hard lessons, seen a ton of deer doing it. So I figured out the way to hunt it this year where I need to be set up because there's like six trails that come together in this one location and that's one of the reasons I decided to hunt it it's just a hub of trails so that increases your odds like by six times Mm -hmm. trails, you know and I figured out how to hunt it after getting busted several times and I also learned lesson learned is back cover is way more important than front cover when I, when, you know, it's what I learned trying to bow hunt it on the ground with a bow and arrow, trying to shoot deer within 20 yards. It seemed like with a lot of back cover, they just did not see me. And before I had more front cover where I felt like I was hid. Like I had this one little hole I could shoot through with my bow. And I'm like, I'm hid. And I wasn't. But now I put back cover behind me which could have something to do why, you know, this year I didn't get busted. But I had back cover behind me, and I put one, there was a dead, like, limb in there, and I just put it horizontal to my side and one in front of me, like, horizontal. Just had two horizontal things in front of me. That's all the cover I had in front of me. But I had majority back cover. And I only had one deer that I rattled in that, seen me but he didn't know what I was he was kind of spooky but he come by me two different times I could have shot but it wasn't a deer I wanted to shoot he was all broke up and probably a year and a half old deer but so I learned all those lessons and using from hunting in there I seen how to when the deer like that those areas there's nasty days so I go in there with this hurricane perfect wind the weather's supposed to hit, the rain's supposed to hit at 12 o'clock. So I was like, okay, I get in here, I can hunt, it's going to wash my sin out, I can hunt it multiple times, after, or at least two more times or something after this, wind's going to be right. So I go in there that morning, get set up, and get in there 30 minutes before daybreak, set up, I had a buck come in before shooting light, 
I could see the deer, but I couldn't see the deer. I just knew it was a buck. I could see some little horns and all. Had that deer come in. I rattled the deer in. And then later on that morning, kind of out in front of me, like a perfect scenario, the deer come from out in front of me where I can see him from a little bit of distance. The only place I can see more than 30 yards, I was able to turn the tap cam on the bow, turn the DJI on, and get some good footage of this deer coming in, got a kill shot, ended up shooting a deer at 14 yards, didn't have a clue I was there. And that video should drop before deer season, I think, next year, I think is what Walt come up with. But ended up having that deer, yep. shot him at 14 yards. It was my first Alabama buck I've shot on the ground, uh, and which was my second one ever shooting off the ground with a bow. And shot him at 14 yards. And it was just a really cool experience. I got to get him and pack him out. Took a little video of, you know, of all that in between. And got out of there. We had plenty of time to spare for the rain hit. It rained, washed everything out. I mean, it just worked out perfect. You know, there's a lot of lessons learned. So, you think... Uh, 2019, I found the spot. I didn't know how to hunt it back then. 2020, long soap cameraed it. 2021, I hunted it and got busted, but I seen tons of deer come very close to shoot several bucks. And then 2022, this year, I was able to put three years worth of knowledge together to shoot a buck at 14 yards on the ground. I mean, there's a lot of lessons learned in between there. And, you know, some of them I highlighted, you know, just run that long soap camera to understand them and hunting in there, being busted, figuring out how to ground hunt, period. And what kind of, uh, you know, I was sitting on my platform before, and this time I, I found a, a certain chair that I like that is a little more comfortable, allowed me to sit longer. And I didn't have to be on a tree so I could put it where I wanted it, you know, where there was some thick back, where it's thick cover where I could sit just in front of it. So it made a, it made setup for this year a whole lot easier. And it was. I think you're going to have to do a video on your ground setup because I want to see that chair and kind of how you pack it in and everything. Yeah. And it packs in a bag smaller than this. So it's about a maybe a 14 inch long by six inches around bag. Nice. And pop it, put it together, and all. You know, it kind of it's got a bungee cord running through the feet, and you kind of pop it together like a, a tent. Mm-hmm. You just had to do it real slow so you don't make a lot of noise because it will make noise. But if you take your time, you know, you can put it together and not make any noise. The good thing is it's breaks down so small it's easy to carry you can go in and you know like say you're doing gun hunts and you hunt big terrain places you can have a little bag and just go sit on the hillside makes it a lot easier i'll probably use it some for turkey hunting as well i was just thinking that actually so from that hunt in alabama um over the course of three years, I learned a lot, and it took three years for me to 
make it happen. So, you know, a lot of the tactics I'm doing is not an overnight success. It's going to be a long-term game. But you've talked about that in the videos that we've done, the podcast we've done about how you go and you find these areas and you're trying to find one of those areas a year, right? Like every you're adding to those spots of this is an area I really want to hone in on. And so year one, you find one of those spots and year two, you're a little more successful, but by year two, you're in year one of another spot that you're starting to break down. And so by the end of year three, you've got spot one really figured out. Hopefully, ideally spot two starting to get figured out and you spot in there, you're starting year one with it, with that third spot. And so I'm witnessing that kind of in some of the places up there that we're hunting together that you've been able to go through, you know, you have year one, have these encounters with the deer, break it down, go in there, do some scouting, run cameras. Year two didn't necessarily get close enough to really seal the deal. But I, ha- I walked up on a buck that was, I mean, I would have shot him without thinking twice about it. And I think just about everybody on this call would have up there. But um, he was sitting right there in that same spot uh, this, the next day and, or the next year. And here I am in year three, and I've got that spot even figured out even better. And I'm fully convinced I can go in there and have even a good spot shot at that deer early season, given the food sources are right and the conditions are what they're supposed to be. So, you know, this off season is going to be a lot about finding that next big spot. And I think I frankly already have it, but it's, you know, break it down, start to figure it out, put those pieces together. And so after a period of time, I think one of the things I found this year was I couldn't just wake up and be like, okay, what's the wind doing? Cause I didn't have that accumulation of spots like you do. And so in the coming years I will, and it'll be one of those things where I just wake up and I go. Right. Okay. It's a Southeast wind. Okay. I got a spot for that. Right. Kind of like that old commercial. There's an app for that. You know, it's, there's going to be a spot for it. You know, that wind. Yeah. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the weather, some of the weather in December, a little warmer this year. Isn't that when you come up chase? Yes. It you was know, warm. when we had, when we had that warm spell, getting on deer was tough, especially that weekend y'all come up there. It was just tough, and I struggled. I'll be honest with you. Like, chasing them went out and seen deer. I didn't see anything. But I struggled some, you know, through a part of December. Yeah, I can kill deer, but I can still struggle, too. You know, just like everybody else, you know, killing a deer is only about 1% of the time. You know, you got to keep it in perspective. You know, people aren't just out killing big deer every day. So... I struggled a lot, and I had a buddy of mine, and he wanted to hunt areas kind of like what I was hunting, and I told him a spot. I said, man, I postseason scouted this. It looked really good. Um, I walked all these trails. I said, there's a, I guess, called a wagon wheel of trails coming together like I was hunting on the ground, except it's in a cutover slash random growth pine mix. And I was like, you should go right here. I already have a tree pin because when I'm postseason, I go ahead and pick out. If a spot looks good, I'm going to picking out trees, looking at how to access and marking all that on the map. So if uh, something ever arises where I get a crazy wind or I don't feel good at hunting these spots, I'm like, well, I postseason scouted this spot last year or two years ago, and I already got it pinned and know how to access I'll just run over there and check it out, but I couldn't hunt everything, so I was like, hey, go check this area out. I sent him a pen right where to sit. He goes in there on the first day, sits there. 
and he sees five deer, two of them bucks. One of them was a small buck he let walk, and one was a really big buck that walked up on this one of the trails, and he was watching some hogs, not paying attention. When he looked over his left shoulder, there was a big old four-year-old eight-point standing there looking at him. And he basically got busted. So he went and put his own cameras out in that area, in this area, this hub of trails, this one little spot I told him, and showed him everything I knew about it, sharing information with a buddy. And he had his deer, and he was doing certain things, and he was trying to tell me what he thought, and I was trying to give him pointers. And he went and hunted a few times and just didn't have, you know, he just didn't have that success and didn't feel confident. And I was struggling at the time, so I just joked around with him. I was like, uh, you want me to go in there and kill him for you? You know, kind of as just a joke because he always, you know, we've hunted together a lot. And he's like, dude, I don't care at this point. He's like, if you, can go, if you think you can go in there and kill him, he's like, I'd rather one of us kill him somebody else. Ew. I, was like, I was like, game on. So I went, I couldn't ever figure out exactly where he had his camera. He told me, but things, some information he was giving me wasn't lining up. I just knew it wasn't. So I get in the area one time and I see his camera. I get it figured out. All I seen was hogs that day. So after I seen his camera and some of the pictures he showed me, I realized immediately what that deer was doing and what trail he was using. And we had a series of a bunch of south winds late December to early January. And he was walking, so the backtrack, he was walking down a gravel access road to get in there, just like everybody does. And he'd go and he'd swing into the, you know, he'd swing into the cut and go about 100 yards and set up. So he was just barely penetrating, making a straight shot in there. So he wasn't leaving much ground sent. So he's like, I just don't know. He just ain't coming by. So he tried to come in from a totally different place and come in from the other side of the access road around to where he wouldn't walk past. He was kind of thinking the deer may have been doing something over there. He's like, maybe the deer knows I'm walking in here and I'm going to just try something different. So he tried that. It wasn't working. And I got to thinking the trail the deer was on was parallel in the access road about probably 60 yards off the access road. And I got some south winds. I was like, I need to come in through the woods, cross a, a deep creek and climb a bank and come in from the other side of this cutover. I think this deer, there was, a, there was basically a thick line. The first 60 yards from the, from the access route into the cut, first 60 yards were thick. And there was a little, you know, made an interior edge where that thick met the more open cut. And the deer was traveling 10 yards inside of that thick line and walking parallel. But I believe he was bedded just off the access. So he knew when anybody was in there. So when I come around, cross the creek and come in from a way they wasn't expecting, I got in there. 
and got in real close to about 30 yards, no, 40 yards, what I suspected to be 40 yards from that trail. Well, there's no trees to climb out there. That's why nobody's hunting. There's these little bitty pines, and if it wasn't for having a tree saddle, you couldn't get in those areas. And even then, I don't think some people would think about hunting in these spots because you're getting like one stick up, you're in a tree that's moving when you move. But if the deer is there, sometimes you, you have to make it work, whether it's on the ground, getting one stick off the ground, whether it's getting two foot off the ground where you can just have a little advantage. So I got in there and right at 450, I look up and I see times. So I threw my binoculars up and sure enough, it's that buck. And he was walking. I couldn't get a shot of it. So thick. all I could see is his times and his beam. That's it. Couldn't see his head. Couldn't see his body. That tells you how thick, you know, kind of the cut is, how growed up it was. So I attempted to grunt at the deer, and I've had a lot of success doing it. I killed my Missouri bug grunting them in. I grunted. He didn't pay no attention. He just kept walking. I opened it up, I put a doe grunt on there, tried that, changed it back, grunted again, tried that. He kept going. By this time, he disappeared. So I was like, well, let me make it sound real realistic. I tied my antlers to my bowstring, dropped them to the ground, shook them around in the bushes and tangled them, nothing. Pulled them up, rattled in the tree, and then pull my grunt out and hit a couple, you know, just burp, burp, just tendon-type grunts, just short grunts, nothing. This deer has disappeared, and this deer is within 60 yards. I mean, I can't see him. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm doing all this. I feel confident enough that I can rattle, and I'm, you know, I'm bow hunting. So, so two or three minutes go by, and I look over to my left, and I see this deer standing out about 80 yards. And I was like, wow, I didn't spook him off. It was a mature deer. And I'm, I'm getting down with the rattling horns with a deer within 60 yards of me. So that right here gave me a lot of confidence of calling. He did not, he didn't spook him. He didn't pay a whole lot of attention, but he got ready to walk off. And I was like, well, let me just try one more time to grunt. And I pulled a grunt out and I hit it and I made some more deeper, a louder grunt, more extended. I was like, burp, now burp, burp, and moved my body like I was moving around. And then he walked and he just disappeared. I was like, crap. And literally two seconds, he turned and he was walking straight to me. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm trying to hit my uh, record on my Tacticam. I know I hit it. It didn't come on. I'm like, crap. I turned my DJI on. It's facing me, you know, getting me with my bow and everything. I hit my Tacticam again. Nothing. It's dead. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's that's he, Chase's luck right there. This deer comes in and, and there's a little somewhat open spot but it's still got the tall sage and briars and little woody stuff growing up like saplings and stuff. And there's two trees and they're kind of staggered. 
So the one in the back is further to the left and the one kind of in front of it is a little more to the right. So I arranged the back tree because he's walking right at it. It's 30 yards. He walks underneath that tree. And when he passes the second tree, you know, I couldn't see him there for a couple of seconds. I got one opening about a foot wide to shoot into. And he comes through there and I stop him. I'm at full draw. I stop him. And at this point, it's 10 minutes before um, legal light is up. And it's kind of getting, you know, a little harder to, to see, you know, it's overcast. So I stopped the deer. I put my 30 yard pin on the deer and I'm in the process of trying to drop it down and put it kind of a low heart shot. That way, if he ducked or done anything, I still got him good. Well, before I could do any of that, I had my pin mid body. He stopped for had to be less than a second. And then he started walking again. And I had to basically hurry my shot. It was either shoot then or not get a shot at him unless he turned around and walked back by me again. And he was walking to get downwind of me. So, <clears throat> so I shot, I see my arrow hit him. He hit right in the crease where I was aiming, but it hit high. And I was like, I was excited, but I was, I knew I made a bad shot. I knew it was like a back whack because I didn't hear the big pop of the cavity. Mm-hmm. And the arrow just zipped right through him. But I know that shooting a fixed blade, super sharp, hand sharpens, sometimes it just zips through. But I shoot a lot of knocks. So I seen where I hit a little about four inches down from the top of the back, but dead in the crease. So I was excited, but I was super nervous. And by the time I get down, I waited 30 minutes or so. The deer ran about 30 yards and stopped. Turned around, looked around, and just walked straight away from me and just disappeared. And I get down later on, go to the arrow. The arrow just has some basically some brown streaks on the fletching and some specks of blood. And where I found the arrow in his hoof marks where he kicked up, he ended up being 26 yards. And I shot him mid-body with at, for 30. So when he come underneath the first tree, which is the one further, and the second one was blocking him, which was closer, Evidently, he angled towards me some, and I didn't notice. And when he popped out behind that second tree, he was actually closer to me than what he was when he went under that back tree. So it was one of those things you you had to take the shot. I ranged, thought I had everything right, but I was still proud of myself. Within two hunts, I was able to get in there, get it on the deer, and I ended up calling a dog anyway, just to make sure. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers Super fast shipping. 
When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And the guy told me, like, you know, the deer is somewhat hurt or one long, you know, dogs will probably catch him, you know, and make him still recover him. Well, the dogs walked the track for a ways, and what they showed me is right where he walked, and there's a trail. And where the them dogs jumped the deer at was in a spot that I got to go back in postseason scout, but it had big rubs in it, and it was super thick, like pines, in this one little spot, thirty yards off the access road, and that's why when people come down through there, I think he just stayed in his bed until after dark. So coming up with a different access of I actually walked through a big block of woods, blew out several deer going through good habitat, crossed the creek, you know, going around and then come in a different way, which normal wind is the north wind for this area and I had a south wind and it worked out perfect to be able to do that. And the deer was kind of walking basically Somewhat across wind, you pictured the deer walking east or west, it's blowing like a 45 across its face. So he was walking when he come where I shot him, he was walking eventually going to get downwind of me. And when he passed that one spot I had, it got so thick there was no, I couldn't even see over there. So he was going to go around me. He was basically working downwind of what that noise was to figure out what it was. So I had the one shot or else he was going to get around me and bust me, but I didn't end up finding the deer. Uh, he wasn't hurt bad enough and made me sick, but I was glad to know, you know, it was just a back whack. Wasn't much blood at all. The dogs jumped the deer and could not catch deer, couldn't keep up with a deer. Deer was running so good. He ended up losing the dogs. So he crossed a big obstacle. I'm not going to name, but he crossed some stuff that just told me and the dog hunter said, there's, that deer's not dead. He did, he done all this. He ain't got away from the dogs and outran them. So that was good to know, but you know. So what did this, what did this teach you? Yeah. Like what, what did that whole series teach you? And, and don't say aim for the right distance. Cause that's low hanging fruit. No. Uh, what it teaches me is access is everything. Sometimes it, you know, not only did I access from a different way, I knew how to access from a different way because I have postseason scouted all this place. I've already walked the trail that I walked to go around to the creek. I had found that the year before, postseason scouting. I walked all that. So I knew where to walk because this is a thick area. There's only a certain place you can go in on that side of the creek. So I already knew how to come around and do it in the dark. 
without walking in any of that deer season just from postseason. And already, you know, when I'm in there, I put a tracker on and I leave those trackers throughout the whole year on my maps. So anytime I'm thinking about doing something, I'm like, boom, here's this track. I walk this way. Here's a path I can walk to get in the areas. So, I mean, again, postseason scouting, you know, using that to my advantage, knowing I could go around this way, knowing I could cross this creek, knowing how to come in this back way, which was, you know, I feel like it was pretty tricky if you'd never done it before, especially at dark. So the lesson learned from that, and then some of these deer are living right up by access. You know, that deer knew when it was safe to get up from his bed and when it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not all the deer I've killed here in Alabama have been like that, but I will tell you there's been at least a third of them that are right up basically under people's noses and don't even, they don't even realize it. Mm. These deer know what you're doing a lot of times, you know, and I feel like that's just a personality of that deer. Like some deer, you know, might be, that's just not the personality, but some deer, you know, it is. And just all the information my buddy relayed to me and what he was thinking, what, the first time he seen that deer, what his camera was showing, what he had already tried. And once I went in there and seen where his camera was, I was able to actually, I was like, okay, I have a really good idea of what this deer is doing. Cause I also, I have postseason scouted all that. So I already knew what it looked like in there where the thick areas were, where most of the trails were. Cause I have them mapped out on my map. And I feel like, you know, postseason played a big part in, in that, even though, you know, my buddy was hunting and gave me a lot of information, but I knew how I basically knew what the deer was doing after I got a little bit of information on him. And then I knew a different way to access him that my buddy didn't because, you know, he had never walked in those areas and, and looked. So, I mean, to me, my postseason scouting is, like I said, determines. I just feel like it's off-season is killing season for me. I mean, what I learned off-season can definitely be applied, and it can apply in multiple different ways. You know, like that, for instance, knowing how to access an area once you establish a buck's there or he's doing something. You know, if you've walked the whole area, you have a good idea where the trails are, somewhat what the deer are already doing, and multiple ways to get in there. That's awesome, man. I, I think uh, I think accessing the areas is something that I put the least amount of focus into. I think I'm in the discovery phase more often than I care to admit, where I'm trying to find places that are worth hunting. And my whole mindset is find those places, and then I'll work and worry about access, but I don't feel like I really worry about access enough, so... Yeah, so I, I mean, I like to find those places now. Mm-hmm. And I know most people, you know, most of what you find now doesn't apply. And I understand it. It don't seem like it applies early on, but as season goes on, it will. And if you know, just say the piece of land you're hunting, 
you know when their rut is and you found tons of rut sign, it applies for that time of the year. And it's just, you're just stacking on information. I mean, the more information you know, the more time you're in the woods, the, the, the better you get at reading sign, the better you get at understanding things. And I like to find those spots and then pick out trees and think about how can I access, is this a spot I can hunt? Or do I have to ground hunt this spot? Do I have to get in a climber and get super high just to see? Do I need a saddle, which I find most times I do? And that really changed the game for me in 2020. Because when I switched to a saddle, hmm, I went from here to up here because now I can hunt all the places I've always wanted to hunt but couldn't figure out how to hunt. But I just feel like so much of it applies. And then I like to stay out of those areas until the time's right. But that comes with you know, time of hunting and understanding that as well. Long soap cameras, actually going in and trying these spots out. So is that the lesson learned to, to continue to just to continue to break these areas down? Because it feels like you've said like five or six different things. So like, what's the summary for Alabama? Like, what did you learn this year? Concrete. Hmm. Concrete. I mean, just postseason pays off for me. Uh, <laughs> not being not being stuck in not being stuck in a way like being versatile, being able to hunt on the ground in a tree, in a climber, on a platform two foot off the ground, just whatever it takes. Just being open minded getting out of your comfort zone and just figuring out a way to, to get it done and taking those experiences and just learn from everything. I mean, awesome, there's several man. different things there. I mean, it's, it's hard to pick one thing. It's, it's a multiple, <laughs> multiple thing. You don't have to pick one thing. I just was curious, like, what your, what your like, major, like, because for you, you say, like, off-season is king. But, like, what are you doing this year differently than past years? Like, what are you what are you focusing and emphasizing on? Mm-hmm. Well, because if, if, if off-season fo- scouting – I'm focusing on access. Okay. You know, I'm focusing on, like, access is king, hunting to win. And knowing how to access a spot probably means more than a lot of things, especially for a highly pressured land. And I'm doing that by postseason scouting, like going to the areas that I'm hunting, figuring out better ways to access, picking out my trees this time of the year and picking out my access this time of year and mapping it out and having it a plan in place for next year when it comes in like if you go in this time of year and you find this spot just wow spot needing to stop take it slow pick out think about the dominant wind what's the usual wind in the area 
what do you think the deer are going to do? Maybe even walk all the trails out and map them. And then you need to pick out the trees. You need to pick out multiple trees. And then you need to look at access. How can you access this without blowing the deer out? Like, if I got a tree over here that's good for northeast wind, how can I access it? Not just hunt it. How do you access that without spooking any of the deer you're possibly hunting? Mm -hmm without getting too close to the bedding area how do you go through how do you go through the areas that other people are hunting to get to that spot without going through the area the deer is using but you're just easing just inside of it enough to to hunt it and kill them but you're not actually laying down a ton of scent in it like you got to get creative like, i like walking through spots other people are hunting the more open areas, uh, the more open hardwoods per se. And, you know, I'll walk through those areas to get to my spot <laughs> and stuff like that and keeping the deer in my spot because I'm laying down scent there that they are going to pick up at night majority of the time. Just being real creative with access, but it's after you find a spot and start to break it down this time of year by walking it out. Mm -hmm. somewhat trying to figure out how the deer are using it i like marking spots all the other people are hunting and it's funny how more times than not there could be a thick spot in between all those and that's where all the deer sign will be how they're skirting around other people you find those trees that are just tore up with climber marks and stuff yeah or ladder stands if you get out in the thickets around them or the dominant wind downwind, you'll start finding all the deer sign and where how the deer are cutting through the area without being detected. And then I walk through their area that they're hunting in and then access that by just getting on the edge of it or just inside of it. But from a downwind side and from a way that I can hunt it, I have the wind advantage. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. It makes a whole hell of a lot of sense, honestly. Yep. And then sometimes it's, I want to get in the middle of a bed in there because I know long soap cameras or something. I know certain time of year these books are in here all day long. There's certain seven days. That's when I'm getting aggressive. And I'm just, I'm going in there. I'm still thinking about access. But sometimes you're going to have to cut across a couple of trails. Mm -hmm. Just going to have to do it. But just do it on the downwind side of your setup. You know, whatever that means, you know, if you're sitting there with a northeast wind and all the trails are out in front of you. You need to come in. Basically, wherever you're going to set up at, you need to access from downwind of that spot. Because you're already going to be blowing it out by sitting there. So you might as well walk through that way cut the trails at some point you had to be aggressive as well but you need to uh i feel like it's better to do that in during the rut or something where deer are more prone to not giving you know yep. not really caring as much and they're more prone to moving as well you get in the bend there's crazy hunts <laughs> chase what are your thoughts man I, you've been awful quiet no, oh, no, I've just been listening. Uh, I mean, I agree with uh, access is key, 
buck I killed this year at the end of the season, I finally decided to change up how I was accessing the area. And when I did the first time I did that, uh, I got a shot at the deer just by changing uh, the access up. And some areas, like I said, some areas can be different access for the morning as it is the evening. You might come in one way in a morning sit and then come in a different way in the evening time, uh, depending on what the uh, deer are doing. So you kind of got to keep that in mind of like, okay, I'm hunting an evening. Probably better for me to come in this way. If I'm going to hunt in the morning, Mm -hmm. it's going to be much better for me to come in uh, this direction. And that spot was kind of like that. I just never really kind of broke down that I need, I'm, I had been having a lot of counters in the evening time and I'm like, well, I could get in super quiet that way, but there was still something that I was doing. I think that was tipping the deer off or whatever that I was in there. And when I, I fight, it was a lot thicker and everything uh, to get from the other way, but it was what had to be done to be successful. So like Brett's saying, you're going to have to know your area uh, really well. And just him knowing that area helped him as opposed to his buddy, just walking in kind of the easy way to get in there and thinking that everybody else. uh, Yeah. Everybody else is going to walk in um, that same direction. So, yeah, but I mean, you can scout area. You don't even, you don't necessarily have to scout everything in the post. You can still scout it during the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might mess something up. Maybe if you do it like before a rain or whatever, uh, you, you can still get in there and learn the areas really well, even during the season, if you have to, because like Brett's saying, some of it's a three-year process. So you, you may be hunting for next year by going in there during the season. If you don't have a lot of time to postseason scout or whatever, just get in there, start walking them trails. When you have time, anytime you have time to scout is the best time to scout. In my mm-hmm. opinion, doesn't necessarily have to be uh postseason. So a- anytime you have time to scout, get in there. And you may blow some stuff out or whatever temporarily, but like I was saying some, and it may affect the does or whatever else is in there. But a lot of times I, I think there's stretches where that buck's not going to walk that trail or walk any of them trails. Cause he might be over in another area. So you still may be able to kill that buck just cause you went in there that one day. He may not cross that trail again for three days or something, mm-hmm. three or four days. So it may be, better for you to spend a little bit of time going you know what i don't really know this area that well (laughs) Um, maybe i should scout it a a little bit better to when i do feel like the time is right i can get in here access it appropriately if needed the wind's going to be right uh, and everything like that and also agree with when the time's right you just got to hunt the area sometimes you you just got to be wind be damned and mm-hmm. go in there and hunt that area because you may only have that seven day window all season to go into a certain spot and hunt it. And you can't just go, yeah, I'm not going to hunt it. The wind's not right today. Well, that was your one chance for the entire season. And that deer may not be using that area like you thought he was, <laughs> or mm-hmm. if he, if it's the rut, they could access from anywhere. So the wind may not even be a factor at all because they're running all over the place uh, at that point. So if, if you got an area of time is right, then you just going to have to make it work and hope that, uh, that deer runs in, comes in a different way, but you got nothing to lose at that point. Cause that may be the only day that you would have an encounter with that deer 
all season long. Yeah. I mean, if you just say a seven day period, a big curve that they're running, and you're only off that weekend, like Chase said, full send it and just go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that he could have been running a doe and be over here, you know, from somewhere he normally wouldn't have ever have been. So your win may be perfect at that point. And there is a point at, at some point when that curve is in your area, you just have to hunt. You just have to go to your best spot and just hunt it. Do the best you can and just get in there. Mm-hmm. For sure, because I a couple of years ago I had a spot. I knew it was the spot, and I knew I needed to be in there, but I wouldn't ever go in there because the wind wasn't right. And I heard somebody, somebody one time on a on a podcast talked about it. He's like, you know, in that certain time. It doesn't matter what the wind's doing. You just had to get in there and hunt at that point because they could, you know, they could come from anywhere. I'll be dang. I, I come at it a little different and about 60 yards over and from a different access, but hunting the same little 60, 70 yard area. And I'll be dang, first time in. I knew, I knew it was a spot I needed to be. I just wouldn't ever hunt it because of wind. And, I heard that and it just pushed me over the edge. Like, just go. Mm-hmm. Like Chase was just saying, when you know an area and you know they're rutting in there, right then, just send it. Just send it. That should be a shirt. Send it. Did you just come up with that, Brett? People around <laughs> here say it all the time. Just send it. I feel like I feel like we need a a horseshoe shirt like chase's lucky horseshoe or something like that <laughs> like I, I feel like i was sitting here thinking about it you know i've got a i've got a team ocp sticker coming out that people can buy and put on their truck so it's going to be a, an oatmeal cream pie and underneath it's going to say hashtag team ocp and so that's coming out but i'm sitting here thinking we need to figure out like what would chase's lucky horseshoe look like is it pristine is it like brand new right off the, the, the line or is it like this weathered thing that he found like in the backyard one day while making a garden for his wife or working on his honeydews, you know, like has it been hit by a mower and thrown across the yard a couple of times? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel I'm like, like this rustic treasure that was dug up a yes. long time ago from, from ancient times or something like Jumanji. He was just, he was just there at the right point in time, pick yeah. that joker up, put it in his back pocket, just thinking, Hey, this is cool. Look at that. <laughs> you know? And he just yeah. absorbed in his body and he yeah. thought it was gone. But it's like, it's like a Spider-Man stuff. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he put it in his back pocket and it, it just disappeared. It just poof entered his bloodstream. I bet you he's got a high iron in his bloodstream. well fellas i am i am max for today my little boy is is already starting to wake up which means any second now i'm gonna have to jet off this thing so instead of instead of having that happen i'm gonna thank you guys for tuning in one more time or joining me i should say one more time for a podcast you guys didn't really tune in the listener did um fall the fall was a was a a grind it was a blitz for us all we got a couple weeks here to kind of catch our breath before we're on to another grind and 
uh, I'm going to be trying to hit Alabama with bread for turkey, and I'm going to be hitting Georgia and the North Georgia Mountains, trying to punch a tag there as well. And so we got a lot of fun things coming. I'm telling you all right now, you don't want to miss that Missouri hunt. Brett did such a killer job uh, with that video. He just absolutely crushed it. So I'm excited. I'm excited to know it. And, and Brett, you'd be happy to know this. Chase dug deep and found photos and additional video that's going to be used at the end of your video. He sent that to me today. So, well, see, that's what's going to make it so good. Chase was in it. So. Yeah, I'm actually not in any of the. I'm not, I was the one taking those videos. So, no, you're in it. Trust me. Oh, I am in it. <laughs> Brandon's got footage with you and me walking around and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Chase was I mean, Chase I was there. Was I was. Missouri. I was yeah. stoked. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy. Right. Oh, I was stoked. Oh yeah, he's definitely stoked. That's for sure. It comes through in the video. That that's that was that was amazing. Uh, so, uh, I think this was a case study as to why it's so important to have people around you who can help you film those final scenes. Just because it's so much better when you have just that. Like you can do everything up into that final few minutes, those final few scenes. That just is so much better when someone else is there to capture it. So, <sighs> all right, fellas. I'm, I'm signing off. He is officially standing up in his crib, looking into the monitor. So until next time, guys, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.